0: This evening's scripture reading will come from Mark chapter 3, verse number 20 and 21. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Please be seated. Let me ask a big favor. The big favor is pray. Pray for the Bible Study Challenge. If we do this, and we do it correctly, by March we're gonna know over 500 key events, stories, characters of the Bible, and that's gonna really change us. So pray this week for the Bible Study Challenge. Tonight is the deadline to sign up for Lads of Leaders. Let me encourage you, if you have a child, if you have a grandchild, you need to sign up for Lads to Leaders. Get those forms out in the foyer, get those forms to Lori or to Nikki, and let's have a great number at Lads to Leaders in 2021. And then finally, before we get into our lesson, let me remind you, we're going to kick off next year right. You know, this year has been a kind of a bummer. Well, we're going to kick off next year the right way. We're going to kick it off with the 40 Days for Eternal Life. 40 days, January 1 through February the 9th. Each day at 6 o'clock, you could either do it live at 6 or you can catch it as a recording. Either Billy or myself will have a, oh, about a two or three minute little devotional thought to kickstart your day. So please join us for the 40 Days for Eternal Eternal life. Now, we have started a new sermon series on Mark. I call it Follow Jesus Immediately. Why am I calling it that? It's because of the 82 times the word immediately is found in the Bible, 35 of those times, almost half, are found here in the book of Mark. Mark is challenging us. He's challenging us to make a decision. To make a decision about Jesus. Either you're going to follow him or you're going to reject him. And Mark is presenting the evidence to hopefully to convict you, to motivate you, to follow Jesus immediately. For years, a very wealthy gentleman was urged by his family to uh, purchase hearing aids because he had a very definite hearing problem. But he was very reluctant, he didn't want to do it. Finally, without their knowledge, he decided to uh, go and buy a set of hearing aids. Now, he didn't get any cheap set, he got the really expensive ones, you know, the ones that go inside the ear, you can't even see it, it's almost invisible. About a month later, he went back to that same doctor, and the doctor said, well, now since you hear so well, I bet your family is amazed. The gentleman said, "Um, I haven't told my family. You see, I just sit around and listen to them. I've changed my will five times already. Now, unfortunately, things like that do happen in families. You know, sometimes words are said in families. In fact, uh, I wonder. I wonder what we would do if we heard some of the things that our physical family members say when they think that we can't hear them. Currently, I have 32 couples or individuals in some type of counseling. One of those individuals is a daughter, a young lady, a daughter, who is hurting, hurting severely by the things that uh, has been said in her family about her. You see, families can be thoughtless sometimes. And Jesus, Jesus experienced that. Jesus himself, uh, Jesus experienced that kind of loneliness that's found when your own family kind of turned their backs on you. But Jesus shows us the way to find true family. Go back to that passage again. Let's look at it again. Then he went home, back home to Nazareth. And the crowds gathered again and they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. He's a lunatic. Wow. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Mark is telling us this story so that we can understand that Jesus, his own family, turned their backs on him. It kind of reminds me of of another story. It happened uh, about 1,200 years later, about another Mark. And Mark, uh, as a young man, when he was 17, he went off on a journey, a journey that would take him 25 years to complete. He went over Persia, over the Himalayas, into China. He was the first European to enter China. And just by a strange set of circumstances, he became a trusted advisor to the most powerful man on earth at that time, Kubla Khan. Kublai Khan ruled a nation that was immense. His palace, you could take the largest castle in Europe, you could take the largest cathedral in Europe and put it inside his palace. He had a dining hall that he often entertained 6,000 people at a time, all eating off of gold plates. Mark was, um, he was amazed with some of the inventions he saw. He experienced gunpowder for the first time. He saw the Chinese people making steel products at a production rate that would not hit Europe for 500 more years. He also discovered um, some foods he liked he discovered that Chinese invention called pasta. You thought it was from Italy? You're wrong. It's from China. Finally, after serving Kublai Khan for 17 years, he went back to his home in Venice, Italy, with stories. But his family and friends, they rejected him. They said, you're nuts. You're crazy. In fact, on Mark's deathbed, As he was dying, they begged him to recant his stories. He said, quoting, I have not even told you half of what I saw. What he saw was true. We're talking about Mark, Marco Polo, and his book that he wrote was about his travels to China. They were all true. Now, the same thing that happened to Marco Polo is happening here to Jesus. His family, his family is rejecting him. The Lord's family thought that he was insane, especially when he claimed to be the king of a new kingdom. How could that be possible? Now, what would you think today? What would you think today if someone made claims like that in today's world? You would probably conclude, well, he's crazy. That's what his own family said about Jesus. That's what his earthly family thought. But if you want to be part of Jesus' real family, don't do that. Don't ridicule him as a lunatic. Because Jesus wasn't. He wasn't a lunatic. Don't write him off as someone who's lost his mind and don't reject him. Don't reject him by calling him the devil because this is what the scribes said. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, what were they saying? Verse 22. Well, he's possessed. He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He cast out the demons. They are saying he is doing this by the power of the devil. Don't view Jesus like that. Don't turn him away as Satan himself. Don't make that mistake. Verse 22. Verse 22. Now, verse 23. He called to him. He called them to him. And he said to them in parables. Now, Jesus here is going to use logic. Okay. You're saying that I'm doing this by Satan. You're saying that I'm the devil. Well, let's use some logic here. Let's use some logic here. How can Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't work, does it? That doesn't work. You know, if an army is going to battle itself, it's not going to win. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Jesus says, just use some good old human logic. You know I'm not the devil. Why are you saying that? Uh, Furthermore, verse verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house. The strong man here would be the devil, would be Satan. How can someone enter Satan's house and plunder his goods? Remember, what is Jesus doing here? He's been casting out demons. He's plundering the house of Satan. He's casting out the demons of Satan. So Jesus says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Why am I casting out demons? I'm plundering the house of the devil. I have bound Satan. He's not all powerful. He's not all strength. I am stronger. In fact, Jesus at his weakest point, which would be on the cross, bearing the weights of our sins, Jesus at his weakest point was more powerful than the devil could ever claim to be. When Jesus died on the cross... Satan, Satan bruised him as it was predicted. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15. uh, Satan would bruise what? Bruise his him on the heel. But Jesus dealt the fatal blow to Satan's head. The devil got in one little lick, but Jesus conquered him and defeated him totally. Colossians chapter two. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might what? Destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus destroyed the devil. Jesus rendered Satan powerless on the cross. But Satan doesn't want us to know that. Satan doesn't want you to know that he is powerless. Instead, the devil, what does he do? He plays head games with us, which is really all he can do. It's all fake. You know, like uh, these guys that um, do magic acts. You know, you may have seen, seen people like Penn and Teller. Oh, it's fake, it's not real. The devil can't do anything really against us. It's all fake. He's trying to fake us out. When Alexander the Great came to power, he ordered his armor builders to build armor for soldiers eight foot tall. Now, why would he do that? Well, here was the plan if Alexander was ever in a battle where he had to retreat, and that was rare because Alexander the Great usually won the battles. But if he was ever in a battle when he had to retreat, his, his army would leave behind this oversized armor. And then when the enemy came up and they saw that oversized armor, they would turn around and go back they would be so disillusioned about trying to fight men that would fit that armor. Well, that's what the devil does. He tries to, to, to fake us out. Satan, Satan has already been defeated, but he likes to, to make us think that he is bigger than he really is, like Alexander the Great's plan. And he tries to demoralize us with what? With fear and doubt. The next time Satan does that to you, don't be fooled. Instead, look to the cross and see Jesus at his weakest point still more powerful than the devil could ever hope to be. Jesus is more powerful than Satan. And, and, and Jesus has a warning he is a warning for those who would refuse to recognize who He is. Look at verse twenty-eight. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, man, and whoever, whatever blasphemies, blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For why? They were saying. Literally, they were repeating it. Repeating it. He has an unclean spirit. The unforgivable sin. Please, please understand what Jesus is saying here. The unforgivable sin is not some slip of the tongue. As a little boy, I didn't understand this passage. And as a little boy, I was afraid, well, there's some some combination of words that I might say that I can never get forgiveness of. And I don't know what that combination of words is, and and it, it frightened me. It's not some slip of the tongue. What is it? It's a fixed attitude of mine which constantly calls the Holy Spirit a devil and refuses over a long period of time to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. You see, there's no plan B. If we reject the evidence of the Spirit, what's His evidence? The Bible. If we reject... God's plan of Jesus as our Savior. If we reject the testimony that those inspired writers by the Holy Spirit gave us of Jesus, there's no plan B. My children often wanted plan B. You know, we would say, okay, if you do this, if you clean up your room, you'll get this. Well, when they didn't clean up their room, they, they only halfway cleaned up their room. They said, well, do we have a plan B? Do we have a, an option? Is there another way we can earn the, the treat, the, the reward? There's no plan B. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. There's no plan B. Now, if you are concerned, and occasionally I have someone who is concerned, If you're concerned that you might have at one time in your mind committed the unpardonable sin, I can assure you that you have not committed it. Because if you had, you wouldn't care. The unpardonable sin is slandering the work of God's spirit and turning your back on God's plan of salvation. There's no other plan for you. There's not an option for you. It's either Jesus or hell. That's it. The religious leaders themselves, those religious leaders, those scribes and Pharisees, they they talked about such an unforgettable sin from their own writings. I'm going to pull up here on the screen a commentary on the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what it says. The Holy One, blessed be He, pardons everything else, but on what? Profaning? Profaning the name, other words, blasphemy. He takes vengeance immediately. That's what they taught. Jesus is telling those religious leaders you're in the danger of committing that very that very sin. You see, the religious leaders had so many opportunities, so many opportunities, and they kept on turning those opportunities down. God the Father sent John the Baptist to prepare the nation for the coming of the Messiah. Many people received John. They received his message, but the religious leaders rejected John. Later, God the Son, Jesus, he came. He called the Jewish nation to trust him. But the religious leaders demanded that Pontius Pilate crucify him. Even so, Jesus from the cross, he said, What, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then God the Spirit came at Pentecost and demonstrated God's power in so many ways. And many people believed, about 3,000 on that one day. But the religious leaders, they arrested those who proclaimed the message and even killed some of them. That led Stephen to say this, you always resist, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He was speaking to those religious leaders. The religious leaders in Jesus' day had sinned against the Father. They had sinned against the Son. And God had given them so many opportunities. But they continued to resist. But there's no plan B for those religious leaders. There's just one plan for all of us. And that's Jesus The only sin that God cannot forgive is that stubborn refusal to trust Jesus and obey him. If you do that, if you resist, if you turn your back, there's not going to be a plan B on the day of judgment. There's only Jesus. My friends, if you're here tonight or if you're watching online, and you are an unbeliever, I urge you, don't be like those religious leaders and keep on resisting the Holy Spirit's convictions in your life. Because there's no plan B. It's only Jesus. Instead, instead trust and obey Jesus as your savior and to become a Christian. That's the only way to heaven. If you want to be part of the Lord's real family, don't ridicule him as a lunatic. Don't reject him as a devil. Instead, look to him as your what? Your Lord. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers. We know you had at least four brothers. Brothers. They came and standing outside, they they sent to him and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. What does Jesus say? And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Who's really my family? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here. He's looking at those disciples. He's looking at those followers. Here are my mother and my brother for whoever does the will of God. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Do you want to be part of a family that will not turn their backs on you? Do you want to have an older brother who will always be there for you Do you want a father that you can depend on? Then be a Christian. Closer to Jesus than any earthly family are those who have answered his call to be with him and to do his father's will. I I, I look at this story. I look at this story in a a very dramatic sense, in a very dramatic contrast. The earthly mother and earthly half-brothers of Jesus, where are they? They're standing outside. While those who make up his spiritual family, the disciples, are seated within the house. Some on the outside, the real family on the inside. Do you want to be part? Do you want to be part of a family that's closer than any earthly family? Then I invite you to enter Jesus' family by joining with Him and doing His Father's will. When Jesus looked around, He looked around Himself and He said, What? Here are my mother and my brothers. He was saying that about His disciples. He was saying that about those who had trusted Him, who had placed their faith in Him, those who were obeying Him. There's a closeness there, a closeness. It's that sense, it's that sense of belonging, of family that Jesus offers to anyone who answers His call. We get a new name. We're what? Christian, christ light. We get a new legal standing in heaven as we become joint heirs with jesus and we get a new family god becomes our father jesus as our older brother and many other brothers and sisters in christ you know that is what is so exciting to me you know this life can be filled with a lot of hurts. This life can be filled with a lot of pain. But you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone in that hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been made possible by who? Your Savior. Your Savior made it possible. He went, out, he went without comfort so that you may have comfort. He postponed joy so that you might share in joy. He was willing. He willingly chose isolation so that you may never be alone in your hurts and your sorrow. That's the kind of Savior we have. All we need to do is just trust Him and obey Him, to follow Him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in fact Lord and we must acknowledge him as such. There's no middle ground. There's no plan B. There's no other choice. No other choice but Jesus. The question is, will you make that choice? One of the saddest things I've ever experience happened about 32 years ago. I had a person that um, that I had been studying with. He had been attending and he kept on saying to me, Michael, I'm going to do it. Just be patient. I'm going to do it. Every Sunday I thought, well, maybe this would be the Sunday. But no such success. He wouldn't respond. He died in a car accident on a Thursday. I actually did his funeral on a Sunday afternoon. He never obeyed. He had so many opportunities. He had so many opportunities, and he kept on turning those opportunities down. And he died without the Lord. He always said, Michael, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Michael. Don't worry. I'm going to do it. He never did. One of the saddest funerals I've ever preached in over 40 years of ministry Don't put off decisions like that. Jesus. Mark says, follow Jesus immediately. Don't put it off anymore. Will you make that step tonight by believing, by repenting, by confessing, by being baptized? Most of us here have done that. Are we living as a Christian Can you say God would be proud of me? God would be, he would approve my life, the way I live my life, of the things I do? Do you need to seek forgiveness? God will forgive, 1 John 1, 9. This church stands ready to pray with you and for you. James 5, 16. Don't be like that guy 32 years ago. Make a decision now as we stand and sing for your encouragement. would you live for Jesus and be always to render when you walk with him.